this fall as part of New York State's campaign to eliminate gender-based violence by more actively engaging men and boys on the topic. The State Office for the Prevention of Domestic Violence has recruited retired professional football player Don McPherson, who preaches the gospel of quote-unquote aspirational masculinity and is helping promote and package the gender violence prevention campaign. And to discuss this effort on the Capitol Press Room, we're joined in the studio by Don McPherson, author of You Throw Like a Girl, The Blind Spot of Masculinity. Welcome to the show, Don. Thank you. Good to be here. And also with us is Kelly Owens, Executive Director of the New York State Office for the Prevention of Domestic Violence. Welcome back to the show, Kelly. Thank you. So, Kelly, I want to start with you. What is the origin of this gender violence campaign billed as uh, Start the Conversation Engaging Men and Boys? Yeah, so OPDV really undertook our Engaging Men and Boys work about two years ago after the uh, COVID-19 task force that we ran. And there were a lot of national experts who came in and said, you know, you really need to, to concentrate some efforts on engaging men and boys. So we started to think about what that should look like. And it's really evolved. And it's evolved from having a conversation about the behaviors to having a conversation about how do we give men and boys the tools they need, uh, which leads us to Don's work. Um, Don has um, been in this work for almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and Actually, we went to Syracuse University as part of a Enough is Enough campus visit. And Syracuse said, we started to talk about our men and boys work. And Syracuse said, are you working with Don? And I said, no, but we should be. Um, so they really connected us. And since then, Don, and Don has been engaged with OPDV in this work. Well, Don, why is this something that you're both passionate about and also feel comfortable talking about? Well, you know, when I I retired from football in 1994 and have been running all kinds of prevention programs here in New York State, drunk driving programs going back to the 80s. And when you talk about prevention, you're always trying to prevent that last thing from happening. You're really not trying to change culture. You're just trying to prevent something specific from happening. And in this conversation around men's violence against women, in order to engage men in a sustainable way is we have to give something something that men can work towards, not just the cessation of violence against women, but, but really helping men develop and grow for them. To, to, to Kelly's point about the behaviors, we've always been concerned about the behaviors that negatively impact women's lives. We haven't been doing the work that our boys need to grow into whole, authentic people. So, Don, when you're engaging, say, young men or, or boys even, what are the points that you try t- to make uh, that might be counterintuitive for some of them? Well, the first thing is, is the conversation around masculinity generally. Right now, most young boys and men only have the conversation around masculinity in the context of preventing men's violence against women. And therefore, we're only talking about the ways in which men's behavior, as I said a moment ago, negatively impacts women's lives. And so we tend to talk very specifically about things like toxic masculinity, which indicts all men before they even walk in the room and indicts masculinity as a social construct, uh, as opposed to how do we get men into a conversation that recognizes that the toxicity of masculinity that harms women's lives hurts men first. And so we have to show them that there's something in it for them in the conversation. So Kelly, you mentioned the pandemic and this idea of combating domestic violence. And on this show, we spoke with uh, Joe Torre, a famous baseball manager. Now we've got a former football player here. Why in particular is it important to engage people in the world of sports on an issue like this? Well, I think it embodies what we envision as masculinity, right? And I think 
you know, from Joe's perspective, Joe's impacted, his life was impacted by domestic violence. So he's very dedicated to this issue and has a really strong personal story about that. From Don's perspective, um, you know, I think that, that Don has come to this work and learned from it. Like he was, he was doing the work we wanted him to do. He'll say this, uh, that women wanted him to do. And now he's evolved into understanding it in more depth around what we need to give society and men to be who they want to be and who society wants them to be. So I think that sports gives leadership skills that, that don't happen in other places. And it also gives them a platform to talk about stuff that impacts really men in a way that I can't talk about it. Well, Don, this is billed as a campaign for boys and men. Is it fair to say, though, for men, at least some men, you can't necessarily teach them new tricks and and that this type of marketing and messaging really needs to be focused at boys primarily when they are still susceptible to men that they're eventually going to become actually defining uh, who they're going to be at that point in their life? You know, I actually think that it's, it's not a matter of teaching men new tricks. It's a matter of focusing and helping men understand the ways in which we evolve as as people um you mentioned joe tory i've known joe worked with him for many years his is a personal story about his experience i didn't come to this work as a survivor nor did i come to this work as a perpetrator being mandated to have these conversations i came because people wanted to use my platform and the platform of sport and very often it's not just the notoriety of athletes what what the important lesson of sport is we don't practice in sports to not lose. We don't teach in the classroom to not fail. We teach excellence in the classroom. We teach excellence in sport. And so we're constantly teaching excellence in that endeavor or that discipline. The same thing is true in this conversation. We don't, as I said a moment ago, we don't just want to teach men to not be abusers. We want to teach men to be excellent. And that means across the lifespan. So, and that's why I use the term aspirational masculinity. What do I want for boys? And what do I want for a, a guy like me, 58 years old, uh, going through life changes and, and, and really evolving? And so I talk about boys and men living in awe, authentic, whole, and evolving. And, and that's the piece that is, creates a sustainable conversation for men to be a part of the conversation because there's something in it for them in every stage of their lives. But do you find, say, that someone who's not yet a teenager is probably more susceptible and easily influenced uh, for this type of messaging as opposed to someone who's maybe had sexual experiences or has gotten older and just become more entrenched in the way they view the world? You know, I, I dial it back even before, you know, sexual experiences and, and really talk about the behaviors that I'm with and among men. And I, I don't think it matters whether you're a young boy. And again, young boys are more susceptible because of the silence of older men. If older men don't say that being a whole, loving, caring man is to be the the full breadth of your humanity, if older men aren't deliberate and intentional, again, I go back to the ways in which we've been talking about masculinity only in the context of, of violence against women. We haven't been talking about masculinity, about the development of our boys. And so if we're talking about the development of our boys, then we are deliberate and intentional about what we want from them. In the absence of, of men saying, this is what it means to be a whole, authentic man, in the wide range of what that means. In the absence of that, yes, a lot of negative voices are influencing young boys who are saying, if you want to know what toxic masculinity looks like, let me show you. And boys are gravitating to that as opposed to men saying, no, this is what being a whole, authentic, that's why I talk about being authentic and whole. If we don't deliberately and intentionally teach that, yes, we are, boys are susceptible to that. Well, in addition to the silence that you talked about and those negative voices, with all those 
influences out there. How do you hammer home this message in a meaningful way, considering you might visit a school once or they might see a social media ad once, but there are all these other negative or, or missing factors in a person's day-to-day life you're competing with? And that's exactly the point of the campaign uh, with, with OPDV, is that we're, we're not trying to just hit someone just one time. It has to be a, a campaign that does another thing. And this is the, the part about prevention versus promotion. If we're doing the prevention work, the conversation will sound different in an elementary school than it will sound in the corporate setting. We want to create common language so that so that parents in the corporate setting can talk to their kids who are learning about this in elementary school. And so it's a, it's a matter of creating. That's why that's why the, the relationship and the partnership with OPDV is so critical is because it's a matter of creating a, a, a statewide conversation as opposed to having Don come and talk to a school or talk to a group of boys one time. That's not what this is. This is about reframing the masculinity conversation in the aspirational way that we pull men into this conversation and show them that there's something in this conversation for them. Well, yeah, Kelly, what does this campaign look like in the long run? Who are the messengers? How does it manifest itself? What, what does it look like? Well, I'll tell you about an experience that we just had a couple of weeks ago at Syracuse University. We put together a panel. Uh, Don moderated the panel of a variety of men. And the stuff that got talked about at that panel that Don was able to pull out was, was amazing to me. Um, we literally had, you know, a district attorney explaining his, his experience around masculinity and how that plays into his work. Um, and I think, I think, our, I think one of our, our jobs here is to create opportunities for men to have those conversations and to come to some, some realizations, but then also engage those men uh, in the in the communities in which they live to continue to have this type of work play out. So it's creating essentially an army of, of dons uh, throughout the state. Oof. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in terms of crafting a specific message that resonates with the young people, though, do you have to tailor that message depending on the community you're talking about and their lived experience and their values? Yeah, and I think that came out in that panel. Um, you know, uh, there was a student leader there who was uh, from New York City, and he said, hey, it all depends on where I am, how I, who I am, you know, and where I have to act the way I have to act. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of tailoring and understanding what men's community looks like and how they um, react and how they um, view themselves in certain situations. And, and I have to say that the, the tailoring part is only the first five minutes. And, and the reason why I say that is because the first five minutes, most audiences are defensive. And the first five minutes, if you're talking to men about masculinity, defensive, because we think you're coming to talk, tell us that we're bad and masculinity is toxic and all that. And so the first five minutes need to be culturally relevant. After that, the way that men deflect and avoid this conversation, and I've been doing this for a very long time in my personal life and my professional life, is by saying, you don't know my culture. You don't know, you know, in my culture, we, you know, men, the men are like this and the women are like this and everything's you know, great. But when you boil it down, no matter where you come from, I'm from Long Island. My father, my grandfather was Jamaican. I'm Jamaican, Chinese, and English. I got this really very diverse background. I grew up in a very diverse community. A lot of first generation German, Puerto Rican, Italian, Irish, Jewish, all of it. All of our cultures were very much patriarchal. All of our cultures were saying, well, the men are this way and the women are this way. And it's all the same narrative. And here's the part that 
really does transcend all those different cultural differences. Most of the men, and, and this happened on the panel, most of the men, I'm 58 years old, my age, and even younger, have never heard their father say, I love you. Have never heard one of the most powerful things that was said on that panel was a young man who said his girlfriend said, I'm proud of you. He said it was the most powerful thing anyone's ever said to him, including his parents. And so when I talked about earlier about being deliberate and intentional, we still are generations of men whose dads were, came from that very stoic, silent, um, that's, that's their strength. Their strength was in their silence. That silence is the problem. That silence is how we are not being deliberate with our boys in telling them what it means to be whole and, and authentic in who we are. And so that cultural uh, difference matters so that people know that you understand where they're coming from. But then that understanding of patriarchy um, and how it impacts, and I go back to the Bell Hooks quote, that the first act of violence that patriarchy asks of males is not violence against women, it's violence against ourselves. And, it, and then we have to cut off our psychic so, sense of ourselves. Um, if not, patriarchy will create all these rituals. And that's across the board. That, that patriarchal understanding is across the board, no matter what culture we're talking about. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Kelly Owens, Executive Director of the New York State Office for the Prevention of Domestic Violence. And we've also been hearing from Don McPherson, author of You Throw Like a Girl, The Blind Spot of Masculinity. Don, thank you for visiting us. My pleasure. Thank you for having us. And Kelly, thanks for returning. As always, thank you. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. Is your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.